Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode 236 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. My name is Ian. Ian. Wow, how appropriate. <laughs> oh, yeah. Crazy. So, let's let everybody know, we're actually recording this episode way early. Yeah. So, it is, what is it, Wednesday before 10 a.m. We're recording early for two reasons. I'm going to Lab Day East this weekend. We always like to knock out recordings early. Yep. But, um, we're also worried that you, Barb, might not have power the second half of this week. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I've lived here my whole life. I've been watching the weather for freaking 10 days now. I've got water, candles, batteries, canned food, ice, charcoal, you name it. I'm watching the storm, and I think we're actually going to get lucky, and it's going to go in south. God bless the people south of us. But we would have been screwed up for a long, long, long time. This is going to be a cat five almost, 165-mile-an-hour winds, and it's Ooh. just... You know, I love living in Florida, but this stuff gets scary. Really, really scary. My two sweatbander kids. Oh, mom, why didn't we evacuate? Why didn't we this? I'm like, oh, first thing I did when I woke up was listen to them. But I think we'll be okay. Hopefully. A lot of rain. Okay, so here it is Wednesday. It's supposed to get. Oh, they were wrong again. Landfall was supposed to be tomorrow. It's like four hours from landfall. I did the math. It's moving at 10 miles an hour and it's 50 miles from Naples. So. Yeah, five hours. It's going to be on shore by two today. Holy schmoly. They've been wrong. It's just they're always wrong. That's why I don't sweat. Do you have high winds now? You got lots of rain now? No. I got a little That's bit. So I got weird one squall this morning. Well, it looks like on the outside that these storms are massive and the whole part of the storm is what, you know, is the storm. But it's really that location in the eye wall and close to that that the winds and everything are. Not that everything else isn't bad. But so it looks like the whole state's, you know, in, you know, wind and rain and, but it's really just condensed to a small area around that wall. But when you don't live in Florida and you don't understand that, you think the whole state's underwater, but it's not a good though. I'm not uh, underestimating it. I'm just saying. No, I get it. I come from tornado country and you know, when a tornado hits, it's just like right there. It's like a, a path. But hurricanes, it looks like it's just taking out a chunk of a state. It is going to. I'm just saying, like, they do extend from the eye. But, like, when you look at it right now, Tampa's not being affected. And you would have thought, looking at the radar, it would be. So, it's just different. Yeah. I do want to say thank you to all the people that have reached out and texted me and made sure I'm okay and my family's okay. And the lab's closed today and tomorrow, so we get two days off. Hopefully, we'll be back up and running on Friday. So, just keep me in your... Keep the whole state in your prayers, not just me. <laughs> is everything closed there? Does, oh, yeah. Does, like, just the whole town just shut down? Yep. There's nobody on the roads. Everybody shut down. Shut down um, this morning. So, yeah. Yeah. I've got plenty of alcohol. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that was every, oh. everybody that I know's last stop was at the liquor store. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> I know I sound like an alcoholic, but what the hell else are you going to do? You got, you know, you're freaking sitting in the house for two whole days. So yeah, 
I might be a little buzzed. It's a good thing we're doing this early. That's one of the reasons we <laughs> wanted to make sure you're clear-headed. I've actually heard people have hurricane parties. Yes, yes. Not, not something like this. That would have been like this weekend or last weekend, you know, ahead of it. But not now. Wow. Oh, well, thank you for asking. Well, yeah, absolutely. Good luck to you. Yeah, Hopefully, you. next week, you'll be around for more episodes. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you won't be without power. Yeah, that was, yeah. I actually to me, that, bought charcoal. that's the worst. I bought charcoal just so I could make coffee. <laughs> just in case the power went out, I've got charcoal on the grill to water, make some hot water and make my freaking coffee. Because that really is the only thing I cannot live without. That and my kids and my cat. I get it. I get it. <laughs> to me, it would be coffee and how do I charge my phone? Yep. That would be the two most important things. Not to call anybody. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to call anybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Wow. Let's see what's going on. Well... If you survive... Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> one of our favorite meetings of the year is happening in less than a month. Dun, 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 dun. The Whitmix Digital Forum yeah. is back in Louisville. 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 Kentucky on October 28th and 29th. So, Barb, we went to the last two events. Yes, we did. And they were absolutely amazing. And this one is looking even bigger and better than all the ones before it. I'd just like to say right now, real quick, God bless Bernie. Absolutely. This was Bernie's brainchild, this event. This was his thing. And this will be the first one without him. But it looks like they're going to carry on very well. So what we always like to do is mention past podcast guests that are going to be speaking at events. And this one, I tell you, is packed full of them. I mean... Just this lineup is amazing. You got Lee Culp, Jill Swafford, Gary Morgan, Corey Lambertson, BJ Kowalski, Kristen Bentz, Whitney Courtney, Jim Collins, Jimmy Stiegel, Rich Green, and Bryce Hiller. I mean, Damn. Awesome. We've done a lot of episodes, so yeah, I we're know bound to that. hit that many. Pretty much everybody. <laughs> Plus, there's a bunch that haven't been on the podcast. And hopefully, since we're going to be there recording, they'll come on the podcast and be guests. There's a Halloween costume party. <gasps> Isn't that awesome? Are you kidding me? You do know Halloween's my favorite holiday. I know. So this is your your chance to really go overboard. I always go overboard. There's <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's a great idea because it's right before Halloween. Why not an awesome costume party? I'm sure it's going to be that's a blast. Cool. Yeah. So head over to Whitmix.com or this episode show notes for a link to see the schedule and to register. We hope to see you there. And talk to you, of course. And talk to you. Barb, have you noticed how many denturists we've been talking to these days? Yes. And I think it's really great because we were on board all along. Super cool. It's not like we did it intentionally to reach out to find denturists. But really, what better way to get a clinical and technical view of all things in the removables? Yep. I mean, it's like the best of both worlds. So this week is no different as we bring you Canadian denturist, also implant and attachment expert, and really just an all-around great guy, Mark Chan. Mark is one of those guys that does a lot. And as soon as you don't think he could do any more, well, you find out that he does. In fact, a lot more. We talked to Mark about how he got into the industry, how he found inspiration from the IDS show, connecting with Swiss NF Metals, all the public speaking he does, and to top it all off, magic. Yeah. (laughs) So join us 
as we chat with denturist Mark Chan. Two dynamic teams have joined forces to rock the intraoral scanning world. Whitmix has added the three-shape Trios line of scanners to its line of digital solutions for the dental office. Together, this dynamic duo can get your dentist scanning, providing you the reliable scans you need for your lab work. If you're interested in learning more about helping your dentist, head over to tinyurl.com slash Trios. That's T-R-I-O-S. Again, that's the word tiny, URL.com slash Whitmix, T-R-I-O-S. And as always, we appreciate your support of the podcast, Whitmix. Voices from the Bench. The Interview. We'd like to welcome to the podcast today, Denturist out of Canada, Mark Chan. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great, thank you. I don't know how Elvis is, but I'm good. I'm doing all right. <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm not going to complain. Barb, your son just had teeth pulled. Ugh, all four wisdom teeth pulled. So I'm actually at home and he just fell asleep and they didn't put him under an anesthesia, so he didn't get all crazy, so I could take a funky video, but uh, <laughs> he's doing all right. <laughs> you don't have blackmail videos for the... No, I people. wanted oh. one, but this guy doesn't put him under, so, but he's good. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, nice. Sweet. So, Mark, do you get to pull teeth in your career? I do not. I'm a denturist, so yeah. I'm, I'm a prosthetic guy. I can see patients and make prosthetics, so dentures, removables, uh, implant-based dentures, and in some provinces in my country, we can also do screw-retained prosthetics too. So kind of an interesting, wow. a little bit different than some denturists in, in the U.S., uh, like my counterparts, sure. but uh, our scope of practice in Canada is pretty cool and pretty wide. Yeah, and it's, it's different from province to province almost. Yeah, from province to province, it's definitely different. Like, Although my profession, uh, we do have two major schools that, well, actually a little bit more than two now because we have some private schools, but there's one on the West Coast or the West side of Canada and one on, in Central where I went to school. And even though we have different schools, we do can practice in, in different aspects of our industry in province to province or state to state, as you guys have in America, you know? So tell us, Mark. Yeah. How did you fall into Denturism? I know, Denturism? I know what's coming. <laughs> Sorry, Elvis, go ahead. How did I fall into the crazy teeth making world? <laughs> oh yeah, take us way back or a little far back. <laughs> I'm not that well. I've only been in this industry for. You don't sound I'm, that I'm, young. A, I'm a youngin. I'm a youngin <laughs> yeah, here. So that's what I, thought. I was in high school, and uh, my high school teacher was like, uh, my arts high school teacher was like, "Hey, what are you going to do after after this lovely high school stuff?" And I was like, "I'm going to be a dentist." And my high school art teacher was like, you shouldn't do that, which is a really weird thing for a teacher <laughs> to say to a student. And I said, uh, why? And he's like, oh, you're too good at your art stuff to, to get rid of it all. You should be oh. a technician or a denturist. And that, you know, being young and dumb in high school, I really didn't know anything about any of those professions. I just knew what a dentist was because I'm, I'm half Chinese and, you know, I got Asian parents. And they're just like, you need to be a doctor or a lawyer <laughs> <laughs> or, or an engineer. <laughs> How the hell did your art teacher know about denturism? He had a friend that was a technician. And, That's crazy. Uh, yeah, so it's just like a weird aligning of events. And I went down to my guidance department. This story is going to come full circle. It's just super weird. And my guidance department, I went down there. I'm like, hi, I'm, I'm this 
about to graduate high school, middle school, and kind of want to know about this program that's at this one college that was the only college on Toronto side. And he, they're like, we, like, we don't know what that is. Dentist? And I'm like, I don't think so. It's at a city <laughs> college program. It's about three years long. Um, you can open your own practice kind of thing. It was like I was telling them about the profession and they were like, I, we don't know oh, what this profession geez. is. And I waited for the recruiter from the college to come and the recruiter came and I I said, hey, what is this profession called dentrism? And I, I you not. This is literally what he told me, the recruiter. He was like, uh, they make teeth and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not wrong. <laughs> At least he knew. I guess. And I was like, uh, is there any more that we can do? Like, is there, like, this is the worst recruiting, like... <laughs> Thank God you're not recruiting for the Canadian Army because, like, yeah, this, tell is, me. this is not selling me anything right now. Define stuff. <laughs> yeah, what is stuff? I remember growing up, I said, oh, my dad always used to say, yeah, we make teeth. And I'm like, wow, that's so odd. Like, I've never heard that before. Yeah, so, like, I, I still didn't know much about the profession. I applied for university, which is, like, uh, like what you guys have in colleges, like, uh, higher education. And I did apply for dental technology so uh, your version of a cdt we have rdt and denturist which is the program that i ended up doing and also dental hygiene um so i did apply for them all and i just was kind of a people person and i was like i probably want to you know work with people more than i want to work on the bench and that's something that i understood when i read into it and you know three years later i became a denturist and had my first mentor in the industry and didn't really look back and here i am on voices on the bench talking about my (laughs) short career on denturism full story the guidance counselor that i asked about this profession ended up getting on all one four at my first mentor's office are you serious (laughs) and then i kind of got mad because i was like hey uh yeah, I'm making teeth. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, yeah, I still have your business card on my desk. I'm like, why didn't you get them made with me? Why did you end up going there? He's like, oh, because it was like it was cheaper. I'm like, good Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, so full circle, I guess. So your art teacher. So the art teacher was the one that pushed you into this. And then you asked the guidance counselor and then you went to school. Did you immediately love it? Um, I did, actually. I, I knew nothing about this. I don't have any family in the industry. A lot of my colleagues who are about the same age, I was about uh, 19, just yeah. straight out of high school, probably one of the youngest denturists to graduate at the time. But most of my colleagues that were in the same age group already had family in the industry. It's like a very passed on profession, mm-hmm. like, you know, dental technology. Oh, yeah, we know. <laughs> so, you know, my family growing up didn't have any family members in dentistry or medicine, lawyers engineer types but nothing of the medical or dental side i was the only one so they really didn't know what i was doing in school either they assumed i was going to become a dentist and i still think my parents think i'm a dentist but <laughs> i'm just gonna leave it like that yeah, just let them. <laughs> i'm gonna get in trouble i did really take a liking to it i think now that i look back on it i wouldn't have changed it i don't know if i would have loved dentistry you know oh yeah being a dentist I, I really do love this profession a lot so when you applied, did you say you applied to all three I, I, yeah, so the college, my college that I went to school at, George Brown George Brown, sure, yeah. Yeah, had a dental hygiene program, dental technology program, and denturism. We're all, all taught at the same school. Yeah. Um, I just ended up going for denturism. Did you get into all three? I did get into all three, yes, I did. It was a so choice. How did I had, you choose? Like, what? Scraping know, teeth? Making teeth? <laughs> what do you want to do? Tooth scraper? Plastic huffer? Or... Uh, <laughs> Impression taker. <laughs> Sandbox player with the ceramics. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I ended up going for the plastic huffer, I guess. But I really, really chose 
something that I wanted to work with patients. Uh, I think I wanted to see my work in the patient's mouth. At that time, I realized, you know, I didn't want kind of a bench job. I wanted to see and interact with my end user clients. And that's something that I realized at that young age in dental technology and denturism. And, and I, I don't regret it. I really do enjoy it. So you wanted to go all the way. So you didn't want to just not be there through the whole thing emotionally and all of that. Yeah, it's definitely something that I, I value now more than ever. Oh, Looking back, can. maybe I didn't really understand it too much, but now it's something that I really value. Um, and I think it's really important and something that I, I think sometimes as a dental technician, you miss, you know, you make yeah. beautiful teeth and sometimes you really want to see your work. In the and mouth. you never see them and you don't get the experience and the emotion and see the patients and their lives yeah. changing and smiling for the first time. And yeah, I, I understand. Some of us have the luxury to work in-house and in-office and chair-side, but not all of us. You know, some of us work at, you know, production labs, whatever the environments are. And I did work in the lab industry too. I'm not a dental technician, but I did spend a lot of time in the lab environment, production and boutique, uh, which is something unique for me, uh, a little bit different than my colleagues. And, you know, I did, I did miss my clinical work immensely when I was in those environments, you know, working for prosthodontists and other dentists was it could be, it was a lot, and it was a lot, really tough to not see uh, my work go in a patient's mouth and kind of have a lack of control, you know? Yeah. I guess I'm a control freak. In, in not have that too. end game. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So you left enterism? No, I didn't. I took a, I took a hiatus because um, I went to Germany. I actually work for a company that's similar to Preet. Oh, ho, ho. make sure we get that in there. Albert. <laughs> we're we're uh, we're uh, we're we're a Preet distributor in Canada. We're Swiss Enough Metals, so we're actually uh, wow. you know, and uh, I work for them, kind of like what Elvis does. I'm an implant case consultant as well, and I still work in private practice as well, wow. three day, three days a week. So you're not very busy, are you? Um, you know, not really. I guess <laughs> you're you're online as much as I am, dude. Come on. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. So, and then obviously I, I have a affinity for dental technology. So, you know, when I went to Germany, you know, we're all in this little bubble in Canada as a denturist. I didn't know anything about digital and any of that CAD CAM stuff. I was just making dentures the traditional way with press pack and acrylic and wax. And I went to Germany for the first time and was shocked. I was shocked at the technology and how it was progressing and I how little I knew about everything. And I came back and was like, I got to learn some of this stuff. And my profession was is a little bit slower than the rest of dentistry. And I was like, I need to learn it from the ground up. And I took a little break from my clinical work and started working in a medium small lab that had CAD CAM. And that's how I got started in 3D printing. And as you know, every every course and every topic is now digital dentures and 3D printing. Yeah. So it hasn't left. It's gotten crazier, if not crazier than four years ago when I started. Absolutely. So, not so much left, but as in took a little break. And I, I don't regret that decision because... Yeah, I mean, that sounds well above your time. Like, how did you know that you wanted to change paths and just go experience that? Because I was so, still young in the career and I knew that, you know, I didn't have any background. I knew that, you know, if I didn't put myself out there and learn something different, which is very hard for us technicians to do because we get into this groove yeah. and we do things for my mentor always used to say, you know, it ain't broke. We've been doing it for 40 years. Why are you going to, why are you going to change? Why are you going to change? change I, don't change it. It's not broken. Stop spending my money. You're, you're crazy. <laughs> yes. And I was just like, you know, I, I was always that student in school that was like, Hey, you know, dental technology was below my department. And I went down there and I was the one that was like, can we use an electric waxer instead of a Bunsen burner? My teachers were like, just use a Bunsen burner. Why are you, why, what are you, why? Why are you You're making your life? The equipment. <laughs> why are you making your life complicated? I'm like, can I use the vacuum mixer downstairs? And then they'll be like, just use the vibrator and pour the model, Mark. Stop being complicated. 
And stop uh, being so extra. Yeah, stop being so extra. Yeah. And I just making mistakes has been something that I, I, I really value in our industry and I think learning from your mistakes is something that I've definitely taken with me along my career and Honestly, if I, I didn't make all those mistakes and I still make them every day, I don't think I'd be where I'm at in my career for all of us too, you know? And I, it's something that I, when I was a teaching assistant at the school, which I did go back to teach a little bit. Um, Holy schmoly. What haven't you done? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Not the podcast, apparently. So it's the first time. I used to tell the students, I was like, there's nothing different from me and you. The only difference is how much you want to put into this profession, you know? And you need to make a lot of mistakes to get to wherever you want to be. And we're all different. You know, whether you're a sales rep or a technical advisor or heavy clinician or a lab technician, I think we all need more of us in the industry. And like you guys in the U.S., our schools are, we only have like, I think four now. And, you know, you guys have very few. And I I really value education for dental technology. We are not unskilled labor. We are, if anything, one of the most skilled people in dentistry. And I really value that for us. Isn't it dumb that it's called unskilled? It blows my mind. You know, we're a little bit thankful and different in Canada. We're still trained and registered and we're a registered profession. So that's something different that we got that you guys may not have as much as us. But um, it is something that I don't like as a term. I really feel like we're one of... We're like the dental magicians of oh yeah industry, absolutely bail out our clinicians every day and they don't even know what's happening. You know, it's it's something that I I don't think dentistry realizes how valuable we are as a profession. I agree. Let's follow this. You went to Germany. Yeah. What did you do in Germany that kind of made you think, hey, it's I need to have a change? Why did you go to Germany? I went to IDS because it was like the show that everyone. Sure. Oh, oh, IDS. Damn. Okay. Say no yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, so IDS for the listeners, you know, like International Symposium of Dentistry, you know, it's in Cologne, happens every two years. It's like the Olympics of dentistry, I guess. It's like sure. Lab Day Chicago times oh. 10, I yep. think. <laughs> it's a Lab Day Chicago with a whole bunch of drinking and coffee. <laughs> I've heard that. Everybody talks about the drinking there. I know. I mean, when a booth has open bar and every booth has an open bar, it's kind of ridiculous. So yeah. I was like, wow. See, and like, the Europeans have it going on, just saying. <laughs> that in the smoking section that is like a cloud a plume of smoke in the middle i was like jesus everyone smokes here this is crazy (laughs) and not the canadian stuff either just you know yeah just tobacco just tobacco so you went there just just to attend the meeting yeah just to attend swiss enough metals flew me out there as a consultant and then i got to see some stuff like i saw a milling machine produce a denture for the first time i was scared i thought that a machine was going to take over my job. Oh, yeah. You know, really? you, know yeah. You, you don't know it. Just like, you know, like yep. Sarek was to the dental technology. And we all realized that, you know, yes, there is maybe two to 3% of the population of dentistry that can do Sarek crowns well. And then the rest of them, I'm probably going to get not shot for much. this. Not so much. <laughs> yeah. uh, they're making, they're making potatoes. Especially wow. the dentist, just saying. Uh, you know, that, that's really totally bad. a great. And the same thing for us is in denturism. I have a job, and I don't know if you guys know the history of denturism in Canada, but it's been a very volatile profession. Uh, it's a very young profession in our country, but we were a bunch of dental technicians that basically said, you know, I think we can service the Canadian population better than dentists can. And we lobbied the original forefathers of denturism got thrown into jail by the rcmp yeah. which is our police Jesus. because it was an illegal profession and they kept pushing and I, I am very thankful that we have a profession that is unique to canada i know it's, it exists in other parts of the world but canadian denturism has been very volatile and you know i do respect a lot of our history in denturism and it, that's why it's so strong we hold our own in in the country for denture making because we are pretty unique in our practices you know so are you part of the uh, political side of um 
what you do? No, I'm not. It's not something I'm good at, but there are younger denturists in my profession that are very good at that, at the lobbying and, you know, scope of practice. And like I said before, we need more of those young people in our profession to push our profession forward for the next 20, 30, 40 years and, you know, the foreseeable future. Yeah. And I owe a lot to the older generation of denturism to do what they did for us. We, I will never experience what they experienced, but at the same time, it's kind of up to the younger generation to push our profession more forward. And going back to denturism and why I went to IDS is because I saw that and I said, you know, I feel like that's probably where our profession's going and we have a place in denturism mm -hmm. for the first time. Mm -hmm. You know, I went back the next year and I was so thankful to be a lecturer at IDS too. And I was one of two denturists from Canada that wow. got to lecture on the world stage. And it really meant a lot to me as a denturist to lecture on a relatively on a stage that didn't even know what my profession was you yeah. know, and yeah. it, it really gave me a lot of uh, like respect for my profession. I, I was proud to be a Canadian denturist representing my profession. There. What'd you talk about? Implants and attachments. Really? Yeah. For Chandra Mateau, it was on their attachment system, Dalbos and slides and uh, the topics that most people don't care about because everybody cares about implants and screw retained prosthetics. Absolutely. I feel like we still have to service old parts. And, you know, Elvis knows this well. Sure. Treat knows this well and my company does too swiss enough metals in toronto and i still think the younger generation needs to know that there's a resource available to them and i wish i knew about this resource when i was a student because i don't know some of these parts were made before i was born oh yeah <laughs> you know and, and they're still uh, out there they still need to be serviced because as you know my population that i service as a denturist is you know older immigrant population from other countries possibly um and they have different kinds of attachments too and honestly Education-wise, I don't think, feel like we learn enough about those things. And they show up in our offices, and it's still a thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I exactly. think it's education is super valuable to me and something I, I really, really enjoy and probably why I'm part of this company now. Because we wouldn't be busy, me, Elvis, and the team at Preet, if, you know, if everybody knew about attachments and implants. That's very okay. true. It's good to be the resource. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like... It's nice to have a free and open resource that is available for us in Canada, like us and you guys in the US too. And I think education should be the next step for our professions, dental technology, dentistry. And I think that's something that I value and I wish we talked more about in a profession. How did you hook up with Swiss NF? Oh, um, so Swiss has always been around and Julian and me go back when I was in school, I met him and obviously he's one of the few companies like Preet that has access to older attachments, yep. and hater bars and clips. And they were an alloy company. They've been in Canada, family owned business for 40 years and I'm not a dental technician, so I didn't buy alloy, but you know, when I had to buy abutments and attachments, he's always been kind to students and the student population, both dental tech and dentrism mm -hmm. and we just became friends and I just realized there was a lack and a gaping hole in our industry and meaning that there's not a lot of industry people working on the other side. There's a lot of sales reps. Um, there's a lot of people that are from other industries selling to us, but there's really no people that have been in the industry long enough that are also helping and teaching and we need yeah. those resources too, especially the young ones. Because, you know, when I was a young denturist it's pretty intimidating you know you don't know anything and you know going out of your way to ask a booth I, I don't want to say there is an ego involved but sometimes they don't talk to you as a student and you just don't know and it's nice to have someone that's younger and a friendly face that you've seen in school that can say hey you know what he's a cool guy i'm gonna ask him i don't feel like i'm scared or i'm gonna like poop myself when i go in front of them <laughs> yeah exactly because it is scary you don't know what attachment is you don't know what a ball is you don't even know like what you're talking about you kind of sound dumb when you go to the booth which is fine and we start somewhere 
So is that pretty much where you have to start? You just got to kind of push your way through it and figure it out and learn on your own? Yeah. I mean, it is kind of scary. You know, as a lab technician, usually you have a boss or a QC manager and a mentor. When I was in my first practice and associateship, you kind of just go trial by fire. You know, you go from school to your first patient. Your first patient coming in is like a hater bar or a locator denture. You don't even know what an abutment is or what to do. And like, and for myself, I didn't have any family members. Could you imagine just sitting in front of your first patient? No. You can't tell a patient you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) I mean, you need to pay the bills. I mean, we all have our girlfriends, our partners, you know, whatever, our businesses and our families to feed. So that is a pretty big treatment plan. And saying no to that kind of case when you first come out of school with a pile of student debt is kind of a scary thing for you, too. Yeah. So you you say yes, and then then you call you someone. Out. Who yeah. do you call? You know, I don't think I'd be able to hide my lack of confidence in front of a patient. You know, you can't. I'd and be in there going, like, oh, "What the hell is this?" Like, oh, I didn't mean to say that. You know, <laughs> you know, patients feel that, and it's something I learned now and later in my career that they do feel if you're nervous. You know, they might not know anything about denture making or dentistry, or but they definitely can feel it, man. It's oh, absolutely. Like they, can, they can sniff you out and they'll be like, are you okay? And you're like, I don't know. I'll be right. You do the, <laughs> you do the weird step out of the room. And you're like, I'll be, I'll be right back. I'll be, I'll be back. Ventilate a little bit. Breathe. Practice. You, you, I mean, Elvis has probably gotten this phone call. That's why he's going to laugh in a second. You know, you get those calls from the clinicians, whether it be a dentist, technician, or dentist. And you're like, so I got this patient in the chair right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can get those? All you're the like, time. And Elvis is like, is the patient in the chair? And I, and, and you're like, yeah. yeah. You're like, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> probably dismiss the patient first. But yeah. Let me send you this picture I just took. It's, it's like blurry. super shaky. Yeah, exactly. Because you're running out the oh door. It's like the cell phone cam with no mirror and yep. it's like the hand, the fingerprint covering the, the actual <laughs> button. Oh my god, it's the same for us here he in Canada. Knows. That barely even looks like a mouth. What are you showing me? <laughs> or like they zoom in so close, the locator abutment looks the size of my head. Yeah, you know? I know it's the same, man. And I so mean, were you all alone in your first practice? Did you have a mentor, or did you have somebody, another denturist there that you could, you know? So my first mentor was the vice president of our association, met him at my licensing exam. And I wasn't alone, but you know, you do learn by making a ton of mistakes. And he was a very well-seasoned denturist. So like they say, if you don't know, you don't know what to ask. And I didn't know how to ask anything because I was, this is my first time doing everything. And he would always used to say, my mentor used to say like, you got to ask me so you don't make those mistakes. And I used to say, I don't even know what mistakes I'm making right now. I, I got to make them. I don't even know if this is right or wrong. I don't even know what plaster is right now, man. Like I'm yeah. having, I'm having a hard time. And, and then you put that into, in combination with clinical work, which obviously you guys know denture work is really difficult with patients mm. Yeah, and you are trying to get your clinical hands good and you are making a ton of mistakes in the clinic too. And it's hard. And I, I really tell young denturists that are in school, it, it, it's I love this profession, but it is a hard profession. You have to do your time. And it's not no computer or no scanner or no technology will save you in the clinic. Because right now, you still have to have good clinical hands. And honestly, if you can't talk to people and be sociable and really yeah. connect with your patients in the chair, there's only so far that your lab work can take you, you know? Yeah, I agree. For sure. It's been a journey. We'll say that. Did your school prepare you at all? Because <laughs> it sounds like you walked into this first practice and you had no idea what was going on i mean you, you pay for your your piece of paper and then you go to your licensing exam and yeah. you, you get your registration 
I guess it gives you like basic foundations and I don't regret going to the school for sure. sure. I really value my time at my school, but would I say, was I a confident Denturist leaving my school? I'd probably say no. I, I, I think I learned the most in my first two years of practice. I probably made the most mistakes in my first two years of practice too. That's how you learn. So take me back. After you graduated, did you? Where did you go to practice? Did you open up your own place? Did I miss no, it? no? I, I actually practiced as an associate with. Uh, it was a denture practice. It was a family-owned practice. It was probably the busiest denture practice, uh, a little bit west of Toronto, but mm-hmm. still in the city. And it was a solely a denture practice with an in-house lab with two technicians, denture technicians only, and it was a four operatory practice. Each mm-hmm. denturist had their own practice. And it was Ford Interest, and I was a junior. So there was four of them. Okay. Yeah. So we just did denture making prosthetics, and we were also uh, an all-in-four based practice at the time because Nobel Biocare was very strong. So I was getting my feet wet in implant work too. So you know, conversions, no digital. It was all analog back then. It was a very Nobel Biocare heavy practice, mm-hmm. and so you got your feet wet learning abutments, scrutane prosthetics, and all the lovely funness that comes involved with that, and. You know, you learn about recalls and what goes wrong and what can go wrong, that they don't talk to you about courses, which, you know, now we, we talk about and we try solutions for. But, you know, when I was a student, it was all sunshine, roses and unicorns, you know, oh, yeah. implants, <laughs> like yeah. implants was the pinnacle of what I could do as a denturist. And all in fours at the time was still young and everybody wanted to do it without thinking what would happen in 10 years. And now a little seasoned in the industry. Now I'm a little bit more weary and and have a little bit more common sense to say, hey, what's going to happen with these materials? And will the implants be okay? Will my patient be able to afford this in 10 years if it falls apart? All questions that I did not ask, you know, because I just didn't have the experience and the know-how. And those are stories that I share with the younger denturists because they're starting in their young career. And I wish, you know, I knew that when I first started. So do you place the implants? Nope, I'm not allowed. Clinically, as a denturist in Canada, I am not allowed to place implants. I can't extract teeth, and I can't do preps on teeth. So you work with the dentist and plan out the case and figure out where the implants need to be placed, mm-hmm. and then you create... Okay, so... So I can do immediate dentures. Yeah. I can do locator or removable uh, overdenture prosthetics. Mm-hmm. In some provinces, or some states, as you would call them in the U.S., you can work on uh, abutment level. So screw retain prosthetics on multi-units. So that's a pretty heavy scope of practice. In some states, we can also do screw retain bridges, depending wow. on where. But that doesn't exist for all denturists in Canada. So yeah, it's it's kind of unique. You know, when I talk to other denturists in the U.S., they're very limited in their scope. Oh, I also do partials too. So I can yeah. do partials as well. So pretty much all-encompassing for removables. So pretty much if you want to be a denturist and have a little more freedom, did somebody that's young kind of look at where they should go and where they should practice and what province they should go to? Yeah. So right now, if you're talking about where we're hurting as a denturist community, uh, the East Coast, which is like Halifax, Newfoundland, mm-hmm. pretty young population out there too. But, you know, denturist wise, we're, we're lacking because everybody goes to school in the city, the big city in Edmonton. That's one mm-hmm. school called Nate. Uh, that's the uh, denturist school on the West Coast. And then Toronto has three schools. We have Oxford, George Brown College and Georgian. Those are all denturist schools oh, in wow. the city of Toronto. And so, you know, you got a small town kid coming from a small town in Ontario or any country and uh, province in Canada. They come to the big city, big lights, super fun. And yeah. they go to school for three years and they want to stay, of course. And yeah. that's not the community that needs the, the service of a denturist, you know. So is the job market there pretty competitive? 
like what you said, where they're all saturated in certain areas? So if you practice in the big cities, I would say it's pretty saturated. If you have the ability to move to a small town in a smaller community like Halifax, Newfoundland, Saskatchewan, and, and a little bit further out of the main city cores, you will do amazingly well. There's I won't say zero competition, but very little competition. And the wage you can make is pretty great. Pretty sometimes even more than a dentist will make, if wow. you can believe it. And really? Yeah, I believe it. Hmm. Most denturists in those kinds of areas service a community that knows what a denturist is. And something that I think is really interesting for you guys to hear is that on the West Coast and East Coast, most denturists have most, if not, are very heavily equipped with digital most of my denturist friends on the West Coast in Vancouver have three or four trioses, two or three mills, wow. three or four printers, which can be more than most dentists I know, you know? So <laughs> it, it's kind of incredible to hear that. And I'm pretty glad that my professions take that by the reins. And it's just, I think professionally, if you can hack it and go to a smaller area, you'll do very well. Yeah. And the big city cores, it's pretty competitive. Yeah. Is there any program to encourage dentists to go to those areas where yeah, they're needed? There is. Yeah. If you practice, for example, get your license in Toronto and Ontario, the actual profession has the ability to transfer your license to any province in, on, in Canada. So just because you got your license in Ontario doesn't mean you can't practice somewhere else. So that's motivation. Sure. Um, some provinces and states will pay your way to go to them and give you some incentives like a moving uh, grant yeah. or they will pay for your young business loan. And even your employer may be able to give you that too. So there is some motivation for sure. It's just, you know, I think young people, especially people, I'm, I'm 34, you do like want to live in the city sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They don't want to live out in the sticks as we call it here in America. But honestly, man, <laughs> living out in the sticks for dentrism, that's where the money's at and that's where the business is at. And I really have seen dentrism thrive in those professions. Like for example, there's a territory and none of it, there's like, a little, it's very cold, and they only have like a couple of days of summer. And... It's very cold. <laughs> so the two negatives: it's cold and there's no summer. But only one denturist there. Yeah, they have all the all the business. So yep. you know what I mean? It's crazy. But um, yeah, man, you're making lots of teeth. You just don't want to go outside. <laughs> I mean, on average, a, a busy denturist will be sixty to seventy arches a week. Ooh. Oh my god, are you kidding me? No, and that's Holy the clinical shit. and laboratory work too, right? Wow. So we do our own laboratory work if we don't have our own technicians. So, and that includes partials too. And we're just, I'm just mashing it all together. So you could really see how busy as a clinical team we are. Yeah. Um, and you were processing a lot of patients. On my busiest schedule when I was an associate, I was probably seeing between 25 to 30 patients a day. How does that allow for any time? There's no time. That's why, you know, I tell young denturists, like, are you ready for this? Because. Yeah. You better eat your Wheaties. <laughs> if you're into Wheaties or Red Bulls, whatever you're into, I don't know. Your caffeine addiction starts quite quick. You know, there is no time. And you really learn, like, when do you do your lab work? How far can you do? You have to have a balance. And that's something that I, I struggled with in my career. Um, Work-life balance is something I think we all struggle with as technicians yeah, and tourists. Sure. Yeah. And we are kind of an obsessive kind of profession and we all have our things that we like outside of dentrism or dental technology. And I feel like if I could say anything to anyone that's listening out there, it's you do need to find your balance in this profession. It's taken me a long time and I'm still looking and working towards it. But, you know, teeth, if you're good at your profession, will always be there. And as much as we care about our teeth making, we do have to look after ourselves too. And I wish we talked about this topic more because I have a lot of young technicians that are my friends that are in heavy burnout now, including myself. Yes. 
I and agree. It is something that I'm really passionate about. And I think mental health is something we really need to talk about as a profession. And I really care about my profession. And I don't want to see more young technicians burn out, especially now. 32-year-old, 34-year-old technicians burning out and leaving the profession. That's not good. No. You know, I, I, I don't want to see that happen to our profession. And we need more technicians more than ever. Speaking of burnout, you must be staying up all night to do the work of all those patients you're seeing. Back then, yeah, I was doing like two, three, three o'clock sessions in the morning. Not oh. now, but it's one of the reasons I, I took a little, take a little chill pill there. You know, I don't want to be as busy because then like you, you said something really important. It's like, when do you have time? Yeah. Never. You don't. And then your quality goes down, your health goes down and, you know, people around you are not as friendly to you because you're irritable and ultimately your patient suffers because you know you come to work very irritable and it turns into dollar signs instead of patient care you know you're not patient for it anymore and when i talk with my younger technician denturist friends you know we're all in a similar boat because we're all running businesses and that's something that we struggle with as a profession i think we all do and i really feel like we should talk about it more at shows and LMT. I've never really seen a show. It's like, how do you run a business and run your, your family? Yeah. It's, never, yeah. it's always like, look at this cool technology. I'm going to blow my mortgage on. Yeah. <laughs> it says you a know? lot though, when you're a denturist and you're getting burned out. So what do you do? You become a technician. You know, it's nuts to me because people are getting burned out being technicians. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, where, where's your happy place? And like I said, I, I don't have any, like I didn't go to college and university for another thing. So I have nothing to fall back on. Yeah. And I put all my eggs in the basket in denturism. So, you know, this is all I have as a profession. And I was talking to a friend of mine. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. Oh, sure. You know, it's not a job. It's really a lifestyle. Like, we live this job. You think about it 24 hours a day. Yeah, we do. We really do. Well, I was curious when you said that. So to be a denturist is one thing, but are you allowed to hire like a yes. secondary skilled person to be able to assist you and help you? And what do yep. they need to be able to do that? It's a great question. So it depends from province to province. In Ontario, I can hire um, like a someone to help me, like a auxiliary staff, something like an assistant. Mm-hmm. As long as I have the final check as a denturist myself, that's fine. They don't need to go to school. Most of us as denturists hire a dental technician. It's usually a registered one just because the training is a little easier and they have okay. some foundations. But there are some denturists because, as you know, even in the U.S., it's hard to find staff. And some yeah. of us do hire off-the-street staff. So to answer your question directly, most of us do some have some kind of auxiliary staff to support us in our practice and lab. For sure. And they can do some of the legwork that takes a little bit of the pressure and the stress off of you. But relines, repairs, you know, bite blocks, custom tray making. They can't see our patients directly, but they can definitely do the lab work in the back, you know, pouring a model, polishing and trimming, that sort of thing. That's totally fine and acceptable. And we're allowed to do that as a profession to hire people like that. And you guys have to just give yourself permission to be able to do that and say, all right, I don't have to do everything. Yeah. To let go, to to clinically let go and to to let go and say, hey, it's okay to let go sometimes. That's something that I think if I could share, it's something that we struggle with. All of us do. Yeah, for sure. At the end of the line, our businesses, I'm not a business owner myself. I've always been an associate, but I've had uh, a lot of close friends that are business owners. And I think because our names are on the front door and it's something that we put so much life into. I think we value and control that because, you know, it is at the end of the line or name that, you know, the doctor is not going to call you and ask for your associate. They're going to yeah, ask for you. Call you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're the one up this creek without a paddle if it doesn't fail. 
No, there's no paddle and there's no uh, there's there's no life jacket and no floaty wings. You're yeah, you're, you're pretty much uh, and the boat's on fire. <laughs> it's a dumpster fire. Yeah. No pressure there, right? Uh, yeah. That's every day in dental technology. Oh, I know. <laughs> that's something I I wish as a young naturist. If you ask me, if someone told me in school, I wish someone just gave me like point blank. You know what? This is what it's going to be like out there. Yeah. When I was in school, they were like, "You're going to make lots of money. Everything's going to be fine." Yeah, pretty much that's (laughs) bullshit. I'm going to say that's a pile of BS. Yeah, do I love my profession? Will I always have a job? For sure. You know, can I say it's easy? No, I don't think so. Even with this digital stuff, I I think we get sold a whole bunch of it's easier, it's cheaper, it's faster. Yeah, but they don't tell us like how many hours we have to put into learning how to scan and design and how much money that we put in and time on top of our professions that we put in to learn everything. You know? figure out how to make it accessible for you to be able to make something successful. And still go home at five o'clock. Normally. Yeah, exactly. And then have a life and a family and yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's something that I, I talk more about now than I did probably because I didn't care. And, and like all of us, I think when you're young and you finish school, you chase just, dollar signs. Just do it. Yeah. 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 You're like, I'm going to make so much money. And then you realize there are a lot of more important things I'm in really your life. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired and you know what? My life needs work too, you know? Yeah. yeah. So where are you at now, Mark? Where am I right? Like at this moment well, in time? Yes. <laughs> what, what do you, are you in a practice or? You... Yeah, I, I'm actually part-time at a private practice. My good friend of mine has a, a dental office in my hometown called Scarborough. And oh. the office is called 416 Dentistry. We're on social media at 416 Dentistry. We're a young practice. What's my the 416 is... mean? Uh, it's my local area code. Okay. Uh, yep. I was going to say the street number. Okay. <laughs> Close. It's our area code phone number. If you're yeah. a, a Drake fan from uh, Toronto, then you know that that's, he references <laughs> that all the time. And that's what he talks about. If you guys, if the Americans that like our Drake fans are, yeah, that's what 416 is Toronto's area code. Interesting. Cool. Okay. And so our dental office is that. We're both young. Uh, it's a one hygienist. Well, we have two now, but at the time when I started, it was one hygienist, one dentist, and me as a denturist. So... Um, it's very small. It's a boutique dental office, and we're all young and we're super motivated. My dentist friend Jason Adenata, he's uh, loves cosmetic dentistry. I like dentures, and his hygienist Karen also loves cleaning teeth. And you know, I feel like we're we're pushing our profession forward in our own separate ways, and we we balance each other's strengths. And it's really nice to find a home that feels like home in our, my yeah. clinical practice. And I'm also not as crazily busy as i was and i can pick and choose my patients which is different important yeah and important yeah yep. so that's where i'm at and then my full-time job is a consultant at swiss and f metals from day to day monday to friday so Holy I work- really what does that mean yep. a consultant you just take those calls all day like what yeah. is this attachment yeah I mean, I'm a little bit different than you, Elvis. So, like, you know, I usually get calls from denturists, like, okay, we have to make a bite block. How do we attach the locator attachments to this bite block? How do you take a bite? You know, is there enough vertical dimension for this kind of vertical? Where do I send this bar if I have to make a bar? Yeah. Do I need to take a splinted impression? What is a splinted impression? (laughs) How do you put the splinted impression in the mouth? You know, mostly those are the kind of the questions that I, I take from day to day. Also, I'm a... We're also an Asiga reseller, so I do all the repairs and oh, servicing wow. for Asigas, and I'm also the lead installer for Asiga for my company. I'll, we have other distributors too. So yeah, 3D printing. I'm a little bit busy from my day to day, but sounds like um, it. Holy schmoly! And maybe have a life too, and in, in between all of that. <laughs> 
I was going to say, did you finally find that balance? or It's a lot better now. It's something that I still struggle with for my yeah. day-to-day because I have a, I'm slightly a workaholic. I think I get that from my parents, but yeah. it's something that I'm working on, definitely. So do you use a Seagas yourself? I do. I, I use multiple styles of printers. Actually, that's a funny story. Uh, these Seagas printers really didn't have a market share in Canada. Mm-hmm. Printing in general didn't have. And then I uh, went to IDS, the same IDS I went to when I yep. saw those mills make dentures. And I told the Seagas, Graham Turner, who's the uh, international yeah. marketing director. And I said, hey, man, I think uh, you might have a market here in Canada. And he's like, eh, we're not interested right now. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure you should be because there's this profession called denturism that is pretty keen on digital. <laughs> yeah. And now they're in, they're in the number like three and a half years later, they're the number one sold printer in Canada, you know, yeah. and there's multiple distributors selling it, not just us. We were the only one Swiss, but, you know, definitely it's gained traction. And I was glad I was part of that. And they're still on the field. The printer, the first printer that I brought to Canada was mine and it's three years into the field and it hasn't fallen apart yet. So nice with a lot of laboratory abuse <laughs> yeah so what do you use it for ah that's a great question yeah. um when i started health canada and fda are quite different so we didn't have access to the resins that you guys had so when we started mostly it was for models intraoral scanning wasn't popular for denturism yet and the materials for health canada were not existent you know, we only maybe had two materials that were available and then we a lot of the distributors and myself talk to these distributors and now we have the ability to print lucitone print uh, which a lot of my denturist friends use from dents by serona lucitone digital print i use my asiga to print uh, all my immediate dentures i'm a three shape user so that's what i use that for my immediate denture tryons or tryon dentures i use my asiga for custom trays i also use it for that base plates for bite blocks i also use my asiga for and then for my implant work i use it for full arch therapy for uh, cosmetic aesthetic tryons for temporaries oh, you know that's cool okay that makes a lot sense oh and also surgical guides as well that's my other side of my things too so yeah i mean all around mostly for removables and prosthetics but generally oh and acrylic partials too i use that for that for temporary acrylic partials are you sure Um, you're done now i think so you got any more (laughs) (laughs) barb opened the pandora's box do you have to do the dentist's work that you're, no, your, I, okay. I, I don't. He sends to a lab. I, I'm not a. I don't make crowns. Uh, I do his denture work, but I see the patients myself. But no, I don't do his crown and bridge work at all. We do have a digital office, so uh, we use the Medit and uh, Itero. Yep. Um, but um, I don't do the lab work for him. No, I don't. Just my own. So you out? You're out there speaking too, right? You're out there for yeah, Swiss. Uh, I, do, <laughs> I do speak as well once in a while. You're an I'm, overachiever. Just saying. Yeah, it's what happens. In a good it's, way. It's, well, I mean, sometimes it's a good way. It's pretty bad when you're burning out, so you got to keep an eye on it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I do speak. I think, like I said, I, I do love education, and I feel like we do need more of that. One thing I didn't like as a student about this profession is that I would go to shows, and it was always the same people on the circuit talking about the same things, yeah. but it felt like a infomercial. You know, yeah. I wasn't learning anything, and I was hungry for education, but I was also hungry for knowledge that made sense and you know, sorting through a lot of the sales wrap and the fluff and puff is, it's really tough, especially if you don't have the experience. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted lectures that, you know, they're 30 minute an hour sessions. And the first half an hour of most of the sessions is like, yo, I'm a technician. I'm better than you. You yeah. can't do this. And I'm like, I'm a young technician. I have no idea. I I suck, <laughs> basically. <laughs> you know? And I really I know- need to learn something valuable. I know I suck. And that's why I'm in this room. You don't have to tell me that I'm. <laughs> I know. 
I'm really shit at my job right now. That's why I'm in this room trying to learn. And I really wanted to at least give something that you could take back to your bench. There's no way I'm going to be able to do a 40 powder buildup tomorrow. You know, it's just not me. There's no way I can do beautiful composite layering in one day. You know, you have to put the time in. Yeah. I really wanted to see lectures that had kind of like a practical approach and like also something that anyone can do. You know, if you could take something to make your day better tomorrow, I really appreciate that more than, you know, okay, I get it, man. You're like the top of your industry. There's no way I Yeah, (laughs) kind of, you know, it's also really intimidating for a a young tourist to be like, oh my God, I'm never going to be that good. And that's Mm -hmm. when I honestly started. That's what I felt like. I was inadequate and not enough. And, you know, I think we're all on our own journey in dental technology and you are enough. You know, I didn't get to where I was because of, I was like, I'm going to be like that guy and just found myself and did your own thing. And And you don't, you want to go the other way. You want young dentures to feel like they can reach that level and that they can do it. And this is how you do it because I'm going to show you and I'm going to teach you. They can. I, I was just a normal high school kid that knew nothing about dentistry, nothing. And, you know, I told the same thing to the third year class when I was teaching. I was like, there's no reason why you guys can be on the stage. I hope, you know, in four years when you guys graduated, I think you guys will be better than me. And I hope you guys will be because, you know, you have the experience and something that I don't have, you know, and it's only up to us to motivate the next generation. I wish we shared more is what I wish. Do you think it's getting better? Yeah. I really think so. I think digital has opened the door to conversation. I have a easier time talking with younger dentists and the profession in general uh, because of digital. I don't think it's making things mm-hmm. cheaper or faster. I think it's giving us an opportunity to talk about things if we can talk about those things. And yeah, I haven't seen that happen in my profession before. So what do you teach at the school? Oh, I'm I'm not at the school anymore. That was a while ago. Oh, what did you teach at the school? <laughs> I, I was a teaching assistant, and I taught in full denture theory for denturism. Uh, so it was just a subsidiary auxiliary staff. So I got to you know, help them make the bite blocks and do the setups and help them do the setups and show them how to process, but no physical marking of, of cases, you know? Mm-hmm. And then on the dental technology side, I did denture theory. So I was a teaching assistant for denture making. So how to mount, you know, how to mount your bite block, what full balance occlusion is, you know, setup techniques, you know, obviously how to characterize stuff and, you know, stuff like that. But I, I'm slightly a pushover when it comes to teaching, you know, I'm the nice teacher. So everyone would come to me and be like, you give me an A+. <laughs> <laughs> So I definitely couldn't be a teacher. I'm not, I'm too nice for that. Yeah. So I was just a teaching assistant and I did that for like four years and in and out just as a part-time staff and I enjoyed it. And that's where I got my love for teaching. And now I get to teach via lecturing and I, I, I like workshops more than I like uh, lecturing. I think, I think you get more out of it. Like a hands-on type deal? Yeah. Hands-on for sure. You know, there's very little you can learn in a half an hour to an hour session at any convention you know you're just in there you get your credits and you walk out and you're like i don't really learn a whole lot just there all right my theory is more slides the better <laughs> yeah less words too yeah. you know what i mean elvis it's just like we're gonna talk about this and I, that's i know you know we're we're all students at heart too yeah so do you need like a certain amount of credits to keep up your denturous license per year we do about 10 hours uh, depending obviously uh on the province but uh yeah we do have a portfolio of con ed credits covering various topics so technical obviously practice management asepsis control business all of us are registered denturists and we have to pay our dues every year and part of paying these dues is also uh, an educational portfolio we have to keep every year we're obviously self-regulated so we do have an auditing process as well that obviously checks our charting and also our clinical work and also our 
continuing education credits. So it's pretty much random, but that is something that keeps our profession uh, at a high education level and oh, sets yeah. us apart from other countries as well, which mm -hmm. is really important to me. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely something that we do for sure. When was the last time you were audited? Uh, actually, I volunteered to get audited. Oh, really? There you go. Uh, get it yeah. out of the way. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's pretty much why not? And I had nothing to hide. So it was just like, sure. And, you know, they come in and they audit your charts, make sure your chart works up to par, make sure your asepsis control and your hygiene's up to par and, you know, your lab works up to par and the equipment you're using is good. And it's just, you know, quality control checks, just like we do in the lab industry, but yeah. also for our profession too. And it's all done by our peers, which is really interesting and awesome. Yeah. That's going to be my question is, are you getting judged by someone that knows what you're doing? <laughs> yeah. It's something that now more than ever, we're, we're having more conversations about it because obviously the technology is changing and the people that are auditing also need to understand that profession is changing too. And so we have things in place that are, we've also gotten the ball started rolling. This is why, you know, you asked me, are there young dentures in the profession that are in the political side of things? This is part of that. And, uh, you know, even self-regulation is part of that too. We can't just go flying by the seat of our pants. We are regulated. Sure. So definitely technology changes and we also have to change our legislation too. Yeah. So what's next for you, Mark? What are you working on? What are you uh... trying to have a life? Yeah, still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have hobbies that I, I'm really part of. I don't know if Ellis knows, but and Barb, maybe not. But my other hobbies in the industry is uh, not dentistry. I, I do magic. I, I love magic. And wow. it's something that I've been doing since I was 11 years old. Uh, nothing I can do over a podcast, but uh, I used to perform quite a bit, and I used to write magic for other magicians in my city. Uh, we had a the, probably the longest running magic show in Toronto for six years, and that's so cool. Yeah, how do you so, write magic? What do you just? Yeah, I was thinking that. So every magician that you see on TV has a creative team. So you know they're they're like the actor, and they do need a team that comes up with the tricks that they perform. Um, there's also you know managing the stage because it is a show there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that you guys don't see that makes a show work sure. like seating the people and making sure the tricks are functioning properly and i was that guy behind the scenes that i did for you know six years and it's something that i like to do and i mean it's totally separate from dentistry but it's something that's been part of my life for a long time and like i said you know you have to have balance and have a way to de-stress and that's my de-stress and I also paint. So those are the two things that are not dentistry related. Get your mind off of the 150 percentage that you're thinking of dentistry all the time. Yeah, yeah it's, it's something that I, and like I said, you know, we are so passionate about our jobs and, you know, slightly obsessive at points in time, I guess, in our <laughs> career. So slightly. it's yeah. funny that we're talking about my hobbies is it's the only profession, dental technology and making teeth is something that's so unique. It's because if... And we spend our lifetimes trying to make teeth and match teeth in the mouth. And if we do our job properly, you probably won't know they're there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a magician, we spend our whole life coming up with tricks. And if I do my job right, you probably won't see me do the move or do anything, really. You'll just see the magic. And I actually talked about this with a friend of mine. He's like, that's so weird. You know, you matching a single central is the most difficult thing to do. And if you do it, no one's going to know that you did it. Yeah. Yep. If, you do it if you do it wrong everyone's going to know you did it. Oh, yeah. So ma magic's kind of the same way. You know, you spend your whole life working on a card move and hopefully when you do it right, no one's going to know. You know, I spend every magic trick trying to see the person do it. I never do. <laughs> I never but do. that's his point. That is a good point. do it really well, nobody can This means it. you're watching good magicians, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever thought about doing magic shows at like at a dental show? I used to do it all the time. Did you I was really? at the big bar. 
Yeah, you guys have never seen me. Maybe, maybe when we do a lab day, you guys can meet me. But yeah, I used to do. I used to perform at the bars all the time. And, no, I'm not talking about uh, the bars. I'm like up on stage. I mean, I, oh no, I'm I'm a I'm actually a cocktail bar magician. Okay, so I, I get you. I don't do stage magic. It's uh, that's why I wrote magic for my friend's show because that's a stage show. Yeah, actually, speaking of magic in Chicago, uh, my favorite place to go outside of lab day is uh, the Chicago Magic Lounge. That's in Chicago. It's my friend's venue. So if you guys really? are Chicago for Lab, it's a private magic club that anyone can go to. It's super awesome. Huh. Barb, we're going to be there this weekend. I know. <laughs> if you guys need tickets, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love a good magic show. I do, yeah. too. That is just fascinating to me. I remember somebody told me one time that I like to run because I like to run away. And that was yeah. my balance. So like my career was all consuming. And when I would go for a run, that would be my way of just getting away. I can totally empathize with what you're saying about the magic. It's very similar. But he just wants it to disappear. <laughs> it's challenging. <laughs> you're like, damn it, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it well. And nobody's going to see how I did it. That's cool. But it's also, it's, it's an escape barb, you know, I mean, yes. when you run, you, you get yes. into this rhythm and this vibe and mm-hmm. you get into the zone and it's the same for magic and painting. And I like to cook as well. And it's definitely something when you're in the zone, whether it be in denturism or dentist technology or running, yep. you're, you're definitely there and you're in another place and yeah. it's super awesome. Yeah. And I, I think we all need that other place we go to, you know? Yes, I really do. I, I'm totally jamming on what you're saying. Yep. Cool. That's awesome, Mark. That's some great stuff. Yeah. We appreciate you for coming on the podcast. Yes. I appreciate you guys. It's a long time coming. I know that. Oh, man. Things happen for a reason, guys. I I really appreciate you guys asking me to come on. It was super awesome. Cool. And good luck. Sounds like you've got it going on up there. I hope so. Keep uh, inspiring uh, young denturists to do it and learn and everything else that you have to offer. It was really wonderful. I hope I see you guys around. Maybe lab day. Yeah, for sure. We'll be there. Yep. All right, guys. Awesome, Mark. Thanks a lot, man. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. You guys take care, okay? Bye-bye. Have you unlocked your dental laboratory's potential through 3D printing? Well, with the Asiga, you can. Did you know Asiga has over 500 validated materials on their open material system? And it's growing every day? By harnessing Asiga's proprietary layer monitoring technology with its smart positioning system and its integrated internal radiometer, as a laboratory, you'll be able to produce any indication you desire. It doesn't care if you need models, splints, temporaries, or heck, even permanent crowns. Your investment will be future-proofed with Asiga's rugged engineering, providing you with a fast, accurate, and repeatable machine with a reputation that is time-tested in the dental laboratory industry. If you'd like to learn more about the Asiga's machine or the material offerings, please visit the website at asiga.com. That's A-S-I-G-A dot com. Or contact your favorite dental reseller. And we appreciate your support of the podcast, Asiga. Thank you so much, Mark, for coming on the podcast and making us all look like we don't do enough. No doubt. I'm glad to hear that you are trying to find some time to balance your life. You know, I know they always say you got to find balance and it's so true and maybe work a little less. Thank you for providing some much needed education to an industry that needs it from people that do it and not sell it.
So next time we see you, Mark, make sure that you have us pick a card so you can impress us again. And thank you so much for coming on our podcast. All right, everybody. Barb, good luck to you in the hurricane. Thank you. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Bye. The dogs. That's so great. Do you put that on the podcast at very end part? Sometimes. That's yeah, cool. Blinky Senti. Blinky Senti. Blinky Senti. What did it say? I don't know. <laughs>